0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter. Sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk And coffee. Uh, My name is Simon uh, Richards and it's my joy this morning to kick us off in a new series. And more about that uh, a little bit later. Now, um, let's begin uh, with a Bible verse. Okay, Uh, I hope you're able to grab your copy of the Bible, whether that's on your phone or you've got a a physical copy in front of you. Uh, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Whether in public or in private, whether in culture or here in church, whether at work, or in worship, if you follow Jesus today, then these words are going to set the agenda for the whole of our lives. That's where we're going in this series together. Now, my name is Simon. I'm married to uh, Claire. Uh, we have uh, three boys, uh, Henry, Ben and Daniel. The latest edition is Daniel. And now our lives resemble that ancient logic problem where you've got the, the wolf, the, the goat, and the cabbage, and you're trying to cross the river. You can only take one item at a time, and you need to make sure no one gets eaten or wet. That's our lives at the moment. Um, you may you may be familiar with Ben. Ben's our middle child. He closed the service last week when we were being asked to reflect on all that the Lord might be speaking to us. He just said, "No, no, no." I do hope you don't have that reaction to my preaching this morning. Uh, I don't know feedback. Please, please give me some feedback. That would be lovely. Um, but we're go- we're going to be reading the Bible together. We're going to be starting a new series. It's based in the Old Testament. The astute among you will notice that what I'm going to read this morning is the New Testament. But we're going to base our new series in the Old Testament, and it's called The Bible Jesus Read. That's what we're up to this morning. It's my job, really, just to introduce that series to us. And then Anna's going to be leading us as we, as we take communion together. So that is uh, what we're up to. I've had a little bit of a a techie issue this morning, so I don't have any pretty pictures on the screen for you, but perhaps that could focus us all the more on the fact that when we're coming to this moment, when we're coming to the moment where we open the Bible together, read God's word, and someone teaches from it, our attention is to be on the Bible and on God's God's revealed words to us. So um, you might also know about me, that uh, during my week I work for a tech company. I started as as an engineer and then slowly but surely I've made my way into sales. From a Star Wars point of view that's called moving to the dark side. (laughs) Now for me to be an effective salesperson I'm never far away from my brochures and my leaflets. Here they are. Here's my brochures and my leaflets. If I'm to be a good sales guy these need to be near me when I'm having a conversation with a client, a prospect, someone who we might do business with. So these are, these are my make up my day-to-day work. This is, this is what I do. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to try and sell you something this morning, but uh, if you are interested in some 3D image processing <laughs> software, um, come see me afterwards. That would be lovely. Now, imagine for me, if you will, an email comes out from headquarters Monday morning. Uh, new policy is the subject line. New policy. In order to be an effective salesperson, you must, before any meeting, before any client meeting, any prospect meeting, there is one thing you just need to do for us. You just need to eat your brochures and your leaflets. You just need to just work your way through them. I don't care how many they are. Just, you know, Just really get involved. Can I? Try and get through the glossy bits, try and digest some of the tricky, nice, nice print card, and then, and only then, can you be an effective salesperson. That's completely bizarre, isn't it? No one's going to ask me to do that on Monday morning, I hope. Or um, how about Andrew? Andrew, imagine if to be a, uh, an effective member of staff at the Student Guild, every morning you had to digest a serious amount of university policy. Ooh. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? That would be horrible. Or um, uh, Helen, who's been leading our song worship this morning. Imagine if to be an effective music teacher, you had to eat a considerable amount of sheet music. Wouldn't that just be bizarre? Well, it, it's a powerful image, if not a wacky one, and it's one from the Bible. The Old Testament is full of some weird and wacky stuff, and I want to show you one of those examples this morning. Would you be able to turn to Ezekiel? <gasps> Chapter 3. And verses 1 and 2, we're just going to start there with a couple of verses from Ezekiel. We haven't said that at the front for a little while, so it's great to be back in the, in the Old Testament. Can I just show you this? This is stunning. Ezekiel chapter 3, um, verses uh, 1 and 2. This is just one of the many ways in which the Old Testament describes how the Lord God, the almighty, unchanging, everlasting God, speaks Through the prophets, that's the prophets of the Old Testament. So can I just show you this? Ezekiel has a glorious vision of God, in which God speaks to him, saying this Son of Man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Pretty weird, eh? Pretty strange. Ezekiel's vision conveys, I hope you can see it there, he's he's receiving this scroll from God, he's eating it down, he's digesting it, absorbing it, it's becoming part of Ezekiel, and then he's to go and to speak to the people of Israel. E- Ezekiel's vision conveys that the words that he's gonna speak, he's a prophet. That's his job. That's day one of prophet school. But, The the words that he's going to speak aren't going to be his own words, but God's words. Ezekiel doesn't have to make it up. He's assured that what he's been given is God's message. But what's amazing is that as well as being God's message, this is still Ezekiel, isn't it? In in name, in voice, in personality, the truth from the almighty, everlasting, unchanging God is coming through. uh, Changeable. uh, temperamental. We know certainly he's detailed, but coming through this unique individual, truth coming through personality. It's stunning, isn't it? It's going to be Ezekiel in name, voice, and personality, yet at one and the same time, God's message. Now, that's it for Ezekiel. I I didn't have the stomach to take us any further, actually. Uh, But, but, Um, we believe a similar dynamic is at work through the whole of Scripture. So we've just spent a year, haven't we, in John's Gospel. We've been reading words that John wrote, but yet at the very same time we believe those are words from God, that it's a message from God. Likewise, when we're in the Old Testament, we might be reading words that have been penned by or said by uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, but at root, we believe that same dynamic is at work, that those words are God's words. As our Anglican brothers would say, brothers and sisters would say, this is the word of the Lord. I knew it. I knew it. I, knew it. <laughs> I got ya. <you. laughs> Fantastic. Um, and so we believe that same dynamic is at work. We believe that God not simply, though, has spoken... Um, through the prophets, through the scriptures, in the past, but as Andrew has really, really helpfully brought us uh, this morning, with with all the kids in with us as well, that God speaks today. And it's just, if you're here every week, and if you're doing this bit every week, you get to a point where someone's going to open the Bible and there's going to be a talk. It's easy to let just the stunning nature of that just become all too familiar, to let it wash over you, the word of the Lord, the word of God. It can become jargon. It can become just Christian stuff. But we are meaning that this is God's voice, God's speech. What the Bible says, God says, to put it so very, very simply. Well, this book's going to, we hope and we pray, set the agenda for uh, our lives as individual followers of Jesus, but also for our life as a church Together, When we're not doing it, we should be very, very open to correction from it. Already this morning, we've listened to, prayed to, and sung words from this book. And not only that, we have a moment like this one where someone ordinarily teaches uh, from it. So here's got what we've got planned for the uh, term ahead. Allow me to map it out for you. Over the next uh, seven Sundays, we are going to be taking a journey through the Old Testament. And we want to focus on some of the key themes, characters, aspects of the Old Testament. And we're going to do that through seven sentences. They are going to be about creation, Abraham, Exodus, David, the prophets, gospel, and psalms. That's what's coming up over this autumn term. But we've set, folks, the unique challenge of making sure that as we do that, as we go through the Old Testament, we want to see how this book was read by, absorbed by, the Lord Jesus. Because you might be sit- sitting here this morning and you might go, OK, it's coming across, you like the Bible. You know, I hope that is coming across uh, awfully clear. But we do have to be really clear as well. That this is a book. It's just a book. Just a book. Um, we, we worship a person. Not a book. This is to lead us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we are here to worship this morning. Just in case we needed to say it and to clarify it, we're getting so excited about this because this is leading us to God in Christ. In fact, saying that is to turn right to the back of your Bible. We're not going to do that now. But you're not going to find a Bible in the vision of the new heavens and the new earth. By that point, it's gone. It was temporary. It was just for a little bit. Because by that point, our relationship with the Almighty is going to be so intimate, so close, that it makes the, even the Scriptures at that point no longer necessary. It sounds like a, a mad thing to say, doesn't it? No Bible is referred to in the, in the Bible's apocalyptic vision of the new creation because the dwelling of the Father and the Son With renewed humanity, will be sufficiently intimate, presumably to make Scripture unnecessary for life in relationship with God. The incredibly bearded and intelligent Reformed theologian Herman Bavink says that Scripture, like all revelation, is a passing act. So we're to use this book to make our way towards worshipping the Lord Jesus. Let's uh, read together, because we haven't done that just yet. I want us to read from the New Testament, and I would love you to turn to Matthew chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11. I won't have the words up on the screen this morning, so find that whichever way you can. Matthew chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11. I have that on page 915 of the Church Bible. Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 11. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, "'It is written, "'People do not live on bread alone, "'but on every word that comes from the mouth of God.' "'Then the devil took him to the holy city "'and set him on the highest point of the temple. "'If you are the son of God,' he said, "'throw yourself down, for it is written, "'he will command his angels concerning you, "'and they will lift you up in their hands "'so that you will not strike your foot against a stone.' Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Well done. <laughs> just checking in. Fantastic. Now, um, why why would you uh, read the Old Testament? Uh, it is a difficult book. We've just seen from Ezekiel; it can be a little odd. There are plenty of blockers, plenty, especially for modern eyes. Uh, Modern hearers think of history, violence, war, and a fair amount of weird stuff. I want to convince you this morning to stick with it. And I want to convince you this morning that those are the words that Jesus lived by. This, the Old Testament, was the Bible Jesus read. You must, of course, have thought once or twice, wouldn't it be simpler? Wouldn't it be more effective? Potentially even, how about this one? Wouldn't we even be more relevant? If as a church we ditched the Old Testament and just stuck with the new. Perhaps that describes some thoughts you've had. Perhaps that's how you feel. Perhaps your relationship with the Old Testament is one of politely ignoring it. If that's you, then maybe, just maybe, this series would change your mind. So I want to begin with that question, why read the Old Testament? And it's a great Sunday school answer for you. Because Jesus did. <laughs> I will guess I'll sit down. Uh, The Old Testament, quite simply, is the Bible that uh, Jesus read. Now, we all know that at the time of Jesus' life and ministry, when people talked about the scriptures, they were referring to the Old Testament. They meant the law, the prophets, and the writings. These were the stories that Jesus heard as a child, these were the songs that Jesus sang. With that same affection that you might remember kids' TV, so Jesus remembers the Old Testament from his childhood. These were the scrolls that were read every week in his synagogue. He picked one up one time and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. These were the prophetic visions that had given hope to his people for generations. And he believed not only did, would they be fulfilled in his life and ministry, but there was more to come yet still through his people, the church. And this is where Jesus discerned the great plan and purpose of God for his people, Israel. This is where he discerned the great plan and purposes of God for Jesus himself And this is where he discerned the great plan and purposes of God for our entire world. This is the source text where Jesus found out who he was and what he'd come to do. Now, do you have a particular actor, musician, sports person who's a particular hero of yours? I, I imagine you probably do. Just have a think who that person might be. You've got someone you admire. If you've got any biographies at home, have a think, who's on that shelf? Now, if there's a character out there that you admire, that you want to know better, how do you find out more about them? You begin to look at their influences, what shaped them, what's formed them, what's made them who they are. We have a program for that. It's Radio 4's Desert Island Discs. That's effectively what it is. We've taken an interest in a person, and we want to find out about their values, their influences. They do it through song, literature and objects, predominantly music. But it's innate to us. If we're interested in a person, we are going to want to find out about their influences, their background. I have married into the Hosking family, and if you sit down at a Hosking family meal, and you haven't read certain books, or watched certain TV programs, whoosh, it all goes over your head. It all goes over your head. Unless I had seen, and I've now seen it in full a number of times, a, a reasonably niche 1970s or 80s, I can't remember, Biederbeck. It's got James Bolum and, what's the other lady? Um, Ed, and Barbara Flynn. Okay, so I'm. Those names probably mean nothing to us at all. But it, to, to understand the family meal, you needed to, to have watched uh, this 1970s comedy. Uh, it, we're talking about influences, what's shaped and what's formed, Jesus. So that's why we're interested. That's why we want to persevere and stick with and digest and absorb the Old Testament. And here's Jesus using it. How does he use it? He is under severe pressure. In dark circumstances, surrounded by confusion. He, he's in uncertainty, perhaps. He's tested. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He will be physically weak. And there's no one else to speak truth to Jesus at that point, is there? What does he do? He's under severe pressure in these dark circumstances. He relies on a solid foundation. He relies on the certain and solid foundation of the scriptures. He says three times to the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's Jesus' authority. That's, That's the solid ground, the thing he clings to in times of uncertainty. Is that the same for you? In those same dark, severe pressure, testing circumstances, do you just grab out? And reach for that certainty of God's word. The culture doesn't want you to. The culture wants you to look inside for an answer. The culture wants you to do some self-talk, doesn't it? If I'm in in some difficulty, uh, personal or otherwise, and I go to the experts who are out there today, they're going to recommend some internal resources. Look to yourself. Um, Here's some good self-talk. Look for some solutions inside. Look to your own resources, your own words. And truth be told, that might well just make me more sick, more uncertain, more confused. Jesus shows us what it's like to reach out and look for certainty. Those have been some of the stories of late that I've been fascinated by and enjoyed by people who've come to know Christ lately. In my work here as a student worker at Belmont a number of years ago, we had a couple of guys who just had never been into church before, but they just arrived. And do you want to know why they arrived? They arrived because they saw out in the culture just a chaotic worldview with no basis, unstable. They saw sexuality and gender chaos, and they were looking for something firm and solid and clear. And they turned up here. If you like, they were reading things like the Sermon on the Mount and saying, that's fantastic. Wouldn't that be great for society? Wouldn't that fix the world's problems? And these guys were converted when they read the Old Testament, when they read the Sermon on the Mount, and they saw that the problem wasn't necessarily just out there in society, but inside, in their own hearts. This is the source, the Bible, the source of solidity. It works. It's stable. It's our foundation. It's what we can come back to when we get unmoored. So I'd encourage you to come back to it if you're feeling far away. Now, let's take, me, take us back to Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Uh, this is a quote from Chris Wright, whose book we're using to base the series on. Uh, the Old Testament in seven sentences, he writes this about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. He says, "When the time came for Jesus to begin his public ministry, he went off into the wilderness, alone for forty days, and he wrestled with the immense task of what lay ahead of him. Chris Wright asks this question what 's Jesus doing for forty days? Well when Satan tempted him to take a different course from the one he knew he must take in obedience to his Father, he answered three times with quotations from Scripture. All three of those scriptural quotations, they come from a, a small section of the Bible, a couple of chapters. Deuteronomy 6 to 8. And that, Chris Wright suggests, that suggests Jesus in those 40 days in the wilderness, he's thinking deeply On those passages of the Old Testament. He's thinking deeply about the implications of Deuteronomy 6 to 8 for himself and for his mission. All through his ministry, right up to the cross, and after his resurrection, Jesus insisted that the scriptures must be fulfilled. We're going to remember some of that in communion in a few moments' time. His whole understanding of himself, his life, his mission, his future was rooted in the reading of the scriptures, the Old Testament. So as we work our way towards communion this morning, I just want to bring us back to that verse we started with. Can you remember it? what Jesus said about the Old Testament. He said, verse 4 of our passage, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus quoting Moses, quoting the Old Testament, saying, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In that little sentence, Jesus tells us what he believes about the Old Testament. He believes It's firm and solid. It is written. He believes God has spoken in the past. He believes God's word is timeless. But not just that. If we leave it there, then we'll have no impact in the here and now. It will have no relevance in the here and now. So watch Jesus' next move. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I take it by that. He means that God's word works in the here and now. It has impact today. Not only has God spoken through the prophets in the past, God speaks today through his words. He viewed scripture as having an immediate here and now impact. I take it that's what he means by comparing it and contrasting it to daily bread. We need God's words, His voice, His speech in the here and now, like we need bread and food to live. These are the words Jesus lived by. What words do you live by? And if it's the Bible, I hope and pray it is, if it's the Bible, then our vocations as followers of Jesus today is simply to be perpetual students. You never have to graduate. You just learn and learn and learn. We're to be lifelong learners, digesting, taking in the living words of God. Let me close up here with an example of a lifelong learner. And that's, this is going to have impact for us, especially, I think it's, this is true, to be lifelong learners. As followers of Jesus, this is especially true if you're leading others, if you're opening up the word in, in home groups, in ministry areas, small, big settings, whatever they may be. If you find yourself teaching others, this is especially important. We're to be lifelong learners. Those who, as C.H. Spurgeon put it memorably, those who have ceased to learn have ceased to teach. So here's a, a little example as we come, come to the table. And this is the Apostle Paul. I don't know what your impression is of, or, or what kind of uh, godly older man or godly older lady you would like to be. I often ask that in a in a mentoring setting to uh, ordinarily to younger guys. We we dream and we imagine what kind of godly old man could the Lord be calling me to be. Well, here's the here's the apostle Paul, our uh, our great example of a lifelong learner. In his letter to Timothy, he writes that all scriptures God breathed. He then tells Timothy, I charge you. Uh, In the presence of God, preach the word. And then do you know what he says to Timothy? Next time you come, please bring the cloak that I left, and please bring my scrolls, and especially the parchments. At the end of his life, he was just gathering up his materials so that he could carry on learning from the Lord God. Well, we're going to come and take communion now. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, It's great to see you. Um, It's great to be um, entering into a time of communion with you. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm just going to echo the verse that uh, Simon just finished with.